Welcome to Indie Insider, presented by Blackshell Media. This is the weekly show where we talk with video game developers and professionals about their stories, their advice for others, and their thoughts on the indie video game industry. I'm Logan Schultz, and on today's show, I sit down and talk with Tyler Bushnell, creator of the Polycade Arcade Machine. He and I talk at length about running a successful Kickstarter campaign, the role of indie games and arcade machines in today's world, and how being the son of the founder of Atari shaped him and his company. As always, if you have thoughts, questions, or ideas on what we should do next, shoot me an email at logan at blackshowmedia.com. You can also find the most up-to-date news on the Indie Insider Podcast on Twitter by following at Logan A. Schultz. And now, Tyler Bushnell. Welcome to Indie Insider. Today, I'm talking with Tyler Bushnell. Uh, one of the gentlemen behind Polycade, which we'll get to in just a second. Tyler, how's it going? Uh, great. Yeah, moving along. <laughs> Sounds good. We're talking on a Wednesday, middle of the week. What is a week like for you right now? What's going on? Uh, well, right now, uh, the weeks are seven days long. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the work weeks, that is. <laughs> um, and I am basically... Uh, rushing to get all of our orders out. Uh, okay. Yeah, nonstop right now. Sure. So let's go ahead and just dive right into the orders you're putting together. Tell me about Polycade. What is this thing you've created? Uh, so Polycade has been an interesting, uh, an interesting timeline. Um, it started out as, you know, I just wanted my own arcade machine. I'd always read about uh, like MAME cabinets and emulator machines, and uh, and I'd always intended to put one together. Uh, I come from an engineering background, and and even with you know some tech know-how, uh, building an arcade machine is no small task. So it you know it took me about ten years before I finally got it together and was like, I'm going to do this. Right. Um, so I, I built my own machine uh, after like going through a bunch of uh, designs and whatnot. You know, I, I had a couple of uh, main goals with the machine, and, and that was uh, one: it should be the smallest footprint possible. Um, and so, a big difference there is that you know I, I intended to use a, a flat screen as opposed to your classic CRT, uh, just because. Um, just a thousand reasons. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> CRTs are hard to find. They're actually more expensive now, and but most of all, they're huge and heavy. Uh, so I didn't want to deal with that. Sure. Um, so I, I went around, iterated on some designs, built my own uh, my own machine, and then I thought, hey, well, this is cool, and that was that was a fun project. Maybe I'll see if uh, if other people want to buy it. Um, so so I went from there and I uh, made a new prototype and then I put that one up on Kickstarter um, and we raised a 125 grand uh, which was about 80 machines um, okay and that was uh, that was in November of 2015 it is now uh, March of 2017 <laughs> and we might be shipping these soon. <laughs> so break that down for me just a little bit. Um, cause I mean, your Kickstarter campaign seemed to do very well. I mean, you, you made a lot of money, much more than the goal you had posted anyway. Yeah. And I, I set that goal, uh, very low. I, I saw this project as going like one of two ways, either, you know, I sell 10 machines and I build these in my, my garage or, you know, I sell a whole bunch and, and like make a proper business. Um, what we did, even though 125 sounds like pretty good, it is a good number. Uh, it's a little bit of an in-between number. It's, it's enough to create a business just barely. Um, you know, that 125 grand is, pretty much goes 100% to parts and uh, like fabrication and, and prototyping. Um, so it's just enough to get started. Uh, 
you know, it's not enough to do to, to really like be able to go balls to the wall and, and yeah, it's, it's a little bit of an in-between number. Um, okay. so, so basically like since the Kickstarter finished, um, when it finished rather, I, you know, there was, we raised enough that it was like, Oh, Hmm. I, you know what I like, I have a working prototype and it's pretty good, but you know, if, if we shipped this exact prototype out to 80 people, I guarantee you that at least 10% of them are going to come back as like not working in one way or another. You know, <laughs> you, you quickly realize like how, like the difference between, uh, you know, a machine that, that I can fix in five minutes on myself as the creator uh, versus a machine that someone who has no idea how it works, you know, as soon as any problem happens, that is a broken machine. Uh, and the consumer, love, you know, selling things to consumers, I think, you know, you just have to expect that there is zero know-how. Um, so, so that was a, a big, uh, you know, 10 ton realization, uh, right. In the early stages there. And so, so, you know, not only that, but, but 80 machines is not something that I can build in my garage either. So, so there was suddenly this big task of like finding out how exactly we're going to pull this off. Um, you know, I come from a, a software engineering background. Um, I, okay. I, I have built websites for a living, uh, up until now. Um, so hardware and manufacturing is something that is completely new to me. Never done anything like it, uh, aside from building things in my garage. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so from the end of the Kickstarter, it, uh, I basically like realized these things, uh, got to searching for, you know, manufacturers, how we can pull this off. Uh, meanwhile, testing hardware and and prototyping further um you know from our initial like the machine that was fi- featured in the kickstarter to what is now the final version uh we went through roughly like 10 different iterations on the cabinet design um and and we started at where we started out with a raspberry pi based machine for cost sake okay. uh the final version uses a gaming PC um, for a variety of reasons. Uh, and so that, that those are like maybe some of the biggest things that changed from the inception to the finished product. Um, you know, we really shifted around what software we're using. You know, the Raspberry Pi to a PC is a huge difference. Uh, a Raspberry Pi can only really support like games 16-bit and less, uh, 32 right. maybe. Um, whereas, you know, gaming PC, like you can now run street fighter five on our machines. Um, yeah. So big difference there. And, and, uh, and also, you know, a big one here is, is, uh, raspberry Pi users are stuck with having to go and find their own ROMs, uh, because as is the case with this industry, uh, it is not legal to ship ROMs. Mm-hmm. with the machines so uh so putting a dedicated pc in there allows you to run steam and you can ship the machines with a fully fledged app store uh so that's really uh that you know that was a big big change for us um and and i feel like really rounded out the product and made it like a real product as opposed to uh like a really niche thing. So since we are an audio podcast, paint a picture for me. I mean, you've talked about different aspects of it, but what is the Polycade? It is an arcade cabinet for the, um, I guess the individual in their home, right? Sort of. Yeah. Uh, so, so the, the Polycade is an arcade cabinet, uh, that is at the moment ideal for, homes and offices uh like what i would consider like you know private scenarios but with you know uh repeating customers if you will so like you know a machine in your home you know it very well 
uh, machined at your work, you know, very well. Um, a bar or restaurant environment, uh, I would say this is not super ideal at the moment. That's the next thing that we're going to tackle. Okay. Uh, um, but the main reason for that is, uh, is Steam's interface, uh, is a bit clunky and it's, people have a hard time navigating that. So, yeah, I mean, it's kind of, I'm looking at some pictures of it and I don't know if these are, I, I guess the old Kickstarter design or if these are new and updated, but I mean, it's a pretty sleek looking cabinet that kind of just hangs on your wall. Um, so it doesn't, it doesn't actually sit on the ground. And it looks like there's different configurations for, you know, joystick buttons and all that. Yeah. So, so basically, uh, in a nutshell, the machine, it's a, it's an arcade machine that's capable of running, uh, retro games and modern games. So we, we ship it fully configured with emulators so that you can drop in ROMs for the retro stuff. And then, uh, it runs on Steam so that, you know, you can, you can play the modern, uh, modern greats, Street Fighter V. Mortal Kombat 10, and then the slew of awesome indie games that uh, are almost like they were designed for an arcade machine. Um, but so it's kind of this perfect world of, of uh, old and new. And then, um, you know, the, the other, what I would consider a kind of a selling factor is the, the extremely small footprint. Um, because it's wall-mounted, we, we shave off, you know, like quite a bit of space you know it's not this like giant machine that takes up a whole corner of your room uh, right you know it's you could put this in a hallway in some cases um and yeah yeah i mean so so uh the, the machine's small form factor you know it's it's the design is a little more um a little more accessible i feel like in today's age the uh the classic arcade machine is tends to have like a certain uh basement look to it (laughs) (laughs) for lack of a better word uh and so like whereas this this is something that i could envision in like a a hotel lobby um sure okay i can see that uh and and uh oh yeah regarding your your comment on the control panel uh so there there is like uh we've got a few different options there and that goes from like you know that the those options are based on uh pricing and uh and just like range of games and usability so so uh you know at the very basic you've got two players and a trackball uh and that gets you you know most of the games you want to play um, okay going like ratcheting up from there the the full the full package is uh the two players, joysticks, uh, the one trackball, one spinner for games like uh, Super Breakout and Arkanoid, um, and then a couple of uh, a couple of little extra modes for your joystick. Uh, so we can outfit the machine with an auto switching uh, four to eight way joystick. So this is something that I love to talk about because it's like a really cool thing. <laughs> but, okay. Yeah. Uh, but the coolest part about it is that uh, users don't know that don't need to know it's there. Like, like you know, for most people don't know that there's a lot of arcade games that uh, require a four-way joystick, and so this is a special kind of joystick that uh, can only be uh, positioned in four directions. Uh, whereas most games require an eight-way joystick, uh, and so like your Street Fighters and those those kind of games all mm-hmm. use an eight-way joystick. Uh, and the, di- the, the, the crucial factor here is that you can't play a four way game with an eight way joystick cause it'll, it'll like fritz out on you. And you know, when you press up, it'll go right. Something like that. Okay. Uh, so, you know, a few examples of four way joystick games are Donkey Kong, Pac-Man, you know I mean? Like mega games here. Yeah. Uh, and so what a lot of arcade builders do is they'll place an extra joystick on your control panel. So, and actually, if you look at our Kickstarter, we had three joysticks on the machine. Uh, right. And that was two eight-way joysticks and one four-way joystick. Uh, so there was a dedicated joystick in there just for the four-way games. Um, 
the auto switching joystick's great because you no longer need a dedicated joystick. So now we can have two players, a trackball and the spinner all within one panel, uh, without, you know, extending the size of this to something massive. Uh, and now you can play, you know, all this giant variety of games with like a relatively small footprint, uh, control panel. Um, and so, so that's cool. You know, a lot of, if you start looking up, uh, homemade arcade games, you'll see a lot of what I call a Franken panel. Uh, <laughs> and this is when the, the control panel is like, you know, three feet by four feet big. It's got like, it's got four player joysticks. It's got a dedicated four way joystick. It's got, you know, a, an extra joystick on there that's just for Qbert. It's got a flight stick and a spinner for, you know, like, uh, what's it called? Tron. Uh, I mean, you can put like, you know, 30 different control interfaces on a single panel and play every arcade game known to man. But, you know, on some, in some cases, you're like leaning forward two feet in order to grab the four way joystick because the sure. panel's so big. <laughs> So we wanted to avoid the Franken panel uh, and get as much game games uh, support as many games as possible without uh, without you know proliferating how many controls we have too much. So essentially, Tyler, if I'm getting this right, there are some games that are um, I guess native to the hardware, right? I mean that come with it, but then you have essentially most of, if not all, of Steam available on this machine as well. Uh, yeah, I mean, so, so most of Steam, uh, if not all available on the machine, granted, you know, you wouldn't play games that are intended for a keyboard and mouse on an arcade machine. Right. But, and then, and then we've got the full emulators set up. Uh, we don't ship it with the games. Right. So. I mean, this is, it's just a cool product. I'm checking out your website. People can go to polycade.com. It seems like there's a lot of cool information on there, but it's just, it's a sleek looking machine. Um, it's just, it's got some cool stuff. I mean, you added features, uh, if this is right on your website, such as a microphone port so people can live stream if they want to. Uh, that's one of these pieces that we've intended to, uh, to add on as an, as an option for those who want it. Uh, it's easy enough for us to, to drill the hole and then add in the extra port. Um, so that's something as well, right? There's, uh, I guess, not a small number, but a smaller number of cabinets that you're currently, you know, shipping out. Is there a certain level of uh, customability that customers can request or get? Do you work with people on that? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, I mean, if the, the obvious one is coloring uh, and, and like a vinyl wrap. Uh, so we'll do graphics on the machine as well. Um, and so those things are, are very highly customizable. Um, and then from there, we, we have like a, a few various options that, you know, depending on the user. So, so for example, you can optionally include a keyboard drawer. We recommend that you do because it's very useful, but we do have some, uh, some customers that are really interested in the machine for its design and they don't want the, uh, the lines of the keyboard drawer to show through. Uh, so, so they, they don't include the keyboard drawer in that case. Um, another option that's kind of cool is, uh, we can, we can put pinball buttons on the sides. Um, and so you have one button on each side, like a pinball machine, and there's some really great, uh, pinball emulation on steam. So you'll, you'll have, uh, these companies that go and basically recreate real art, real pinball machines in, uh, in like a, a video version. Uh, so you have video pinball, uh, and that's actually really cool. I, you know, it's funny. I, I, one of our Kickstarters suggested the, uh, the pinball buttons and I was like, ah, I don't know how cool that is. And then, uh, once I got around to, to digging into it, I was like, wow, this is great. You know, I don't even really like pinball that much, but this is, I could totally get into this. <laughs> <laughs> So there are, uh, if I may, there are some games that ship with it, correct? Do you have to uh, 
uh, develop partnerships with those those companies and, and get these on there? Yeah, yeah. So so at the moment, we're shipping uh, a catalog that includes games from uh, Devolver Digital and Black Shell Media. Um, and so we've got relationships with both of those companies. Uh, they're both really cool, uh, awesome guys to work with. Um, and and so we're, we're sending that. It's like uh, 15-ish games that come with the machine. But then, you know, you can add ROMs for retro games or you can, you know, purchase other ones through Steam, through your Steam account, just like uh, just like Steam normally would, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, and coming up soon here, we're going to be offering uh, game packs as well um, that, that, you know, our users can go on and, and buy uh, from us to put into Steam, uh, likely at a discount. Excellent. Okay. Yeah. So, Tyler, let's switch gears just a little bit. Tell me a little about yourself. Who are you to come up with a product like this? Um, so, you know, just, uh, yeah, I mean, aside from, like, another guy with a, a garage and the skills to build a, an arcade machine, <laughs> <laughs> uh, one part that fits in elegantly is, uh, is my dad's history. Um, right. You know, he... he created Atari and uh, Chuck E. Cheese. And so <laughs> kind of like arcade machines there <laughs> in a sense, or right. very much so. So your father is Nolan Bushnell. Um, if people don't know, although they should know, I mean, he did found Atari. Um, and actually, uh, I've talked to him about being on the show. I'd love to have him on the show at some point. It seems like we can't get something to connect just yet, but we will. Um, but there was a fantastic episode he just did on another podcast for those of you who are podcast fans, um, how I built this with NPR. Uh, um, yeah, I listened to that. Yeah. I highly recommend it. I, I love that podcast. Um, and the story was great. So people can go check that out, but we're here to talk about you. So you grew up with video games and arcade games as part of your life, I would assume. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I was on the, uh, the tail end of the arcade generation. Um, but we had, you know, like where we grew up with around six uh, arcade machines at our house. Um, and so we, you know, two of which were Pango and uh, Donkey Kong Jr. And so those those two games were kind of our favorites. Uh, and yeah, we 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 spent a lot of time on those. And, and also, uh, you know, we caught the we we spent our like I think I was 12 13 when Street Fighter 2 came out and we used to go visit the arcade uh at Stanford University just to like put all of our quarters into Street Fighter 2 <laughs> okay uh, so yeah actually funny note there we uh the Stanford University has a bell tower uh Hoover Tower and uh it's got these cages around it and uh people will like throw quarters and coins at the bell uh, where it, you know, the, they bounce off and just fall onto the ground below, like inside of the cages. And uh, we never, you know, we never got an allowance or, or money. Uh, and, and so <laughs> we used to go and like create these contraptions out of like, out of coat hangers to, uh, to pull the quarters in from the tower. <laughs> <laughs> so we'd collect as many quarters as we could from the tower, stealing people's wishes, basically, and uh, and then go spend them on Street Fighter. <laughs> Excellent. That's a great story. <laughs> I know. I still, you know, I don't, like, we never got kicked out. We definitely got some, uh, some slanted looks. Oh, did you? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to take a quick break here, so stay with us. I'm Logan Schultz, and you're listening to Indie Insider. Hey everyone, thanks for listening so far. In case you were curious, here's a quick sneak peek at next week's episode. We had done okay right before that show. We showed a trailer, which was awful, and we got a lot of <laughs> negative feedback, and everyone hated us. And uh, then we went to that show, and everybody was like, "Hey, couple things. This game looks better in person than in the trailer." <laughs> 
and two, it's really fun. Like everybody liked it. We had I think five hundred people play our game in our booth, and uh, like one of them didn't like it or something, or two, maybe two. So it was overwhelmingly positive, and that was a big morale boost for our whole team because we're like, okay, I guess we're on the right track. Hey, everyone. A really, really quick note. Uh, some of my friends and colleagues here at Blackshell Media and, and behind the Indie Insider podcast, uh, Raghav, Daniel, and Raquel, they've put together a brand new ebook, and it's on Kindle and through Amazon. It's called Indie Game Marketing Secrets. Now, it's two ninety nine to buy, or it's free if you have Kindle Unlimited. Um, and, I mean, these guys have been doing this for a few years now, so they've got a lot of experience and insight to share with all of you, and, and they do in this book. Uh, they talk about where and how to effectively market your game, finding the right voice for your company and for your game, uh, trying to find the right time for everything, generating buzz, encouraging players to share your content. I mean, it's it's full of great things, and a lot of the same stuff that we talk about on this show. So if you're an aspiring game developer or you know, you've been a veteran for a few years now, but you just want something else to go off of, uh, or you just want to know more about how these types of projects come together, check out this new ebook on Kindle uh, from some of the guys at Black Show Media and the Indie Insider Podcast. It's called Indie Game Marketing Secrets. Yeah, so so uh, so we definitely grew up with arcade machines and and you know that those things are a pain to move around. Uh, and so as we, you know, moved houses and relocated to LA and stuff, uh, these machines either, you know, most of them we sold, uh, we ended up holding on to Pango and Donkey Kong Jr. And, uh, at one point Donkey Kong Jr. just sort of got weird and stopped working. Uh, Pango's still around though. Um, also getting weird. But, you know, it was, it was like, God, I would love to still play these games if only we didn't have to lug these things around and could also play other games. <laughs> sure. So is that kind of where the concept came from? It was almost to fix your own personal problem? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, this was entirely a selfish project. <laughs> <laughs> I want my own arcade machine. I want it to play all the games. Uh and or most as many as possible um and and you know i don't want to kick myself when i have to move because i have a massive unwieldy arcade machine so here's something i'll ask you tyler um and this is this might be hard for you probably with your bias of you know being the creator of this product but you know maybe try and be really honest with me about how it feels you sit at a polycade machine you're playing games that probably were not designed for the polycade but rather you're building the polycade for them does it feel good to be playing these games on an arcade machine oh definitely absolutely i mean the you know the control interface that you use for a game is so so important uh i mean you know, most of these games are designed for specific controls. And, you know, oftentimes you can use something else, but usually that's not what you should be using. Um, you know, I mean, each game has its ideal interface. And so, you know, for example, a touchscreen, uh, a touchscreen game works really well on a touchscreen. If you were to port that game, to a computer and be using a mouse, it no longer works very well because now it takes a moment to move your mouse across the screen and aim and target it where, you know, a touch of your finger would have been a lot easier. Mm -hmm. um, so, so a lot of times a game can break down if you're using the wrong control interface. And so, you know, Pac-Man's the classic example because it's a four-way joystick game. So Pac-Man's been ported to every interface known to man, you know, I mean, you can get Pac-Man on the app store and play with your touchscreen, but is this really the way that you want to play Pac-Man? Uh, you know, I guarantee that you go and download Pac-Man from the app store, you're going to tire of it in, you know, 10 or 15 minutes because a touchscreen joystick is a terrible experience. Uh, and so... You know, and that also goes for like your NES controller. Like this is an eight-way uh, directional pad. It's not 
built for. You know, Pac-Man wasn't designed for that, uh, and it doesn't really port well. So, so like, so you really want the the interface that the game was designed for, and and the arcade is the missing one. It's one that we we have such like difficult access to at this point in time. Uh, you know, the arcade interface is right now pretty much restricted to uh, like an arcade stick controller that you can, you know, a standalone controller that you can get. Uh, very popular in the, the fighting community. Um, but, you know, we, we've sort of been lacking the arcade interface for some time now. Uh, and especially in a modern capacity where, you know, you can you, you have like an app store and it's it's got these like modern features that uh, that the old arcade machines don't. You know, we don't we don't want at this point in time to own twenty arcade machines. I mean, that would be cool if you have you know your like giant basement where you can have like an old school arcade. That would be great. Most of us don't have that, uh, and so so you know, for those of us that don't, we want you know a, a app store driven arcade machine that I can play old games, I can play new games, and I can use an arcade interface. Um, you know, some some other games that just don't translate well to to other interfaces are like the Super Breakouts and, and Arkanoid, you know, things that use a spinner. Um, the spinner control is a really, really unique one, and, and those games just don't work well without the spinner. Who are the people that are going to get the Polycade? I mean, is this for everybody? Is that your goal? Well, so, so you know, the biggest, yes. However, uh, you know, the, the biggest um, stopping point there is, is the price point. You know, an arcade machine is, is not a small, even, even with our, you know, smallest possible footprint, uh, it's still like a relatively high ticket item. Um, you know, I mean, most of our competition sits at like three to four grand for a machine plus usually around $500 in shipping. Uh, ours runs 2,800 with $200 shipping. Um, so this is still, though it's like, you know, we're getting a little closer to, uh, a more affordable machine. Um, it's still out of the range of a lot of people. Uh, so, so that's, that's probably your biggest, uh, your biggest holdup. Um, and this put, this means that, that the majority of our users are, uh, 30 to 60. Sure. The people who can afford this, who are really interested in this. That's right. Yeah. Right. So Tyler, what's the future of this product? What's next? Um, so, so at this point we are, you know, we've got some small iteration to do. Uh, we're super happy how the production version has turned out. I mean, where we're at now versus where we were at the Kickstarter is laughable. I mean, you know, I've, I've, at this point I've made our, our Kickstarters wait almost a year and a half now. Uh, and, and which is a horrible thing and I feel very bad, but, uh, you know, knowing where we're at now versus where we were at even six months ago, uh, it's totally worth it. Uh, you know, I think what everyone's getting versus what they ordered is night and day. Uh, oh, okay. Just feel the quality. I mean, even the pictures on our website are out of date right now. Um, but so, so that's, that's very exciting. Uh, and, and, you know, further iterations will fix small things that I think I'm the only one who notices them. <laughs> um, but aside from that, uh, you know, we would like to, we want to offer a, a lower, lower cost machine. Um, and we would also like to round out, uh, to a few other form factors. Um, the most prominent being a four player machine. Uh, and then maybe oh. second most exciting would be like a cocktail style cabinet. What do you mean by a cocktail style cabinet? 
Uh, these are the, the old machines that were essentially like a table and you usually had joysticks on both sides. Uh, and so the screen is, you know, is laid down so that people can sit at the table and they're looking down at the screen. Right. Um, and so we want to, we want to do a version of the polycade that's like that as well. Okay. So there are some people out there who have received their polycades already, right? That's correct. Yeah. What sort of response have you seen? Uh, so far it's been very positive. Um, very, it's been really good actually. I mean, you know, we've, we've gotten <laughs> only about 10 machines out, but, uh, you know, we've not heard from half of those, which is usually a good thing. Um, <laughs> and then the other half have been super excited. Uh, you know, several of our, of, of the folks that have received machines already have sent in pictures and, uh, we've had some really, really good, just really good reviews in general. Uh, especially concerning, you know, the, they'll, I know several, like a couple of our users started out, you know, loading their ROMs up onto the machine and, uh, and playing with those for a while and then started exploring some of, you know, the modern games that we've shipped with the machine. And they were like, wow, these modern ones are so awesome. You know, we've kind of like forgotten about the retro games, uh, which was, which was fascinating to me, you know, partially because. I had the same experience, you know, in getting into this project, it was all about a place to play retro games. And as soon as I scratched the surface on, on some of the modern games that, that run really well as an arcade game, uh, I kind of haven't been spending much time on the retro games at all. So tell me about, um, the team that you're working with. Obviously you're not working on this all alone anymore, right? Well, <laughs> so, so actually, uh, you know, when I launched the Kickstarter, uh, I had a couple friends and my brother helping me here and there. Um, and it, I quickly realized that I, you know, I, I had too much to learn to be employing people. So, uh, so I went solo, uh, a few months after the Kickstarter ended and uh and have been solo up until about a week ago um oh wow yeah so this has been a one-man project up until yeah just recently uh and i now have one person helping me uh build machines um but you know part of the part of why this is why it's that way is because you know back to the kickstarter funds um, that amount of money was enough to pr do prototyping, which frankly, I spend a little too much on prototyping, uh, or at least more than expected. And then after prototyping, get all of the production stuff in. So, I mean, we pretty much have the parts for all of our machines, uh, and there's no money left over. <laughs> so, so are you the one just building them all are you sitting there and putting these all together now that you have the parts uh yep wow you know with the exception that that now i have uh a friend my friend eden helping uh assemble these machines as well is this your full-time job at this point oh yeah and it has yeah. been for for about like nine months are you enjoying it still definitely yeah i'm i'm, I'm loving it uh this was the right job change for me <laughs> what were you doing up until that nine month mark where you, where you finally decided to go full time with this? Uh, I was previously building, I was working for a company for 10 years, uh, building backend ad systems. Um, so, you know, inter internet advertising space, um, behavioral, that kind of thing. How did you get into that? Cause we kind of cut your story short just a little bit. Um, what, how do you get into that background? Uh, so I actually got into that, uh, working at one of my dad's companies, um, right as I was, uh, starting college, my dad was starting a company called Uwink, um, and, uh, I actually dropped out of college to go work at, at Uwink. Uh, oh. yeah, so, so I, 
I, w- I only went to college for about two quarters and then uh, went back home for a Christmas vacation and uh, and spent the two weeks of, of the vacation working at, at Uink. And uh, I was learning so much and having so much fun there that I ended up deciding to take the spring quarter off uh, and into summer quarter off. And then I just never went back. <laughs> So, so working on, at Uink, I, I started out uh, programming. Um, you know, there was a random project that came along, and uh, I was like, "Sure, I'll do that," and and just sort of figured out how to code, uh, and and just ratcheted up from there. Has having that coding background and that software engineering background has that been important for this project for Polycade? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, to get like, though we're using a PC and, you know, the emulator software out there, the emulator community is super strong and there's, uh, there's a lot of options there, uh, to get a machine to run the way that you want it to with emulators requires quite a bit of configuration. Um, we're also doing a few things that, uh, that are a bit uncommon in this space um using steam as the uh the game interface for roms is is one of those things that's less common sure um and so to get everything to work and also to work in a uh consumer product capacity has uh you know has required quite a bit of software configuration um the, our machines ship with like a very specific cocktail of programs and uh custom scripts that enable it to function seamlessly as both, you know, whether you're playing Steam games or the uh, the emulated games. Um, so someone, you know, someone with zero computer knowledge can can operate this machine reliably and successfully. Which kind of goes back to something you said previously. That's pretty important. Uh, that ease of use, I suppose, because uh, you know, as you said you have to just assume on some level that consumers don't know. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, they, and, and having spoken with a number of our clients, it's so apparent the, uh, the level of, you know, why doesn't it just work is, uh, is it's really got to just work. You know, I mean, I, I, I dealt with this in, uh, you know, building websites and, and, uh, the, the software, you know, for the company I worked for previously uh, all the time where it's like, you know, as soon as there's like a li- not much technical, technical knowledge in someone, the word broken can show up real quickly. Sure. Um, and something, you know, that is to me like, oh, just a glitch. All you have to do is this in order to navigate that glitch. Uh, that doesn't really work well as a consumer product. You can't tell people, you know, you, you send it a FAQ that's like, well, when you hit this super common glitch, just do this. Uh, you know, I mean, so, uh, so it's really got to function super smoothly, very seamlessly. Otherwise people get pissed off, especially when we're, we're talking about a $3,000 machine. You know, I mean, if you spend three grand on something, uh, it better work. Right. No, absolutely. That makes a lot of sense. So here's a question for you, Tyler. And I don't know if this is going to be an easy question or a difficult question for you, so I apologize <laughs> if it ends up that way. Uh, but here's my question. You talked a little bit about uh, some potential future products, some things you'd like to do in the future in the same vein, and you yourself are doing this full-time now. This is what you do. Is this a product or is this a company? So this is a company, um, you know, we're, as most, we're starting out with one product. Um, and you know, we thought that product was very niche when we started out. Uh, it is funny. I I do say we all the time, even though it's really just me, (laughs) there's a we coming very soon. (laughs) Uh, but yeah, I mean, so, so. We're starting out with the one product. I, I see uh, a rich future for this product. 
and I also see you know a, a variety of other spaces that that we can uh, that we can tackle in the future. Um, you know, there's there's quite a few options here for us. And when you look at the money, you look at the numbers. Is the interest there? Do you think that there's enough there to build an entire company on? Yes, absolutely. Okay. That's what I was curious about. I want to know, um, and and I mean, you answered this, so that, thank you. But um, yeah, I just was curious what truly the future of this looks like because it is kind of niche, but the product looks very quality and, and looks very exciting. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you know, it, it kind of sells itself from what we've found uh, with doing just such a minimal amount of marketing. I mean, really, almost none. We've continued to uh, to pull in sales, um, and yeah. On that note, uh, we are going to be looking for investment soon. So if uh, if anyone out there is interested in investing in Polycade, uh, find find my information and uh, let me know. Tyler, we'll do it again at the end. But why don't you share your information now for those who might be interested? Uh, yeah, definitely. Uh, just uh, shoot us an email: info at polycade.com. Uh, and, uh, yeah, whether you're interested in learning more about the arcade or, or potential investment, uh, we get back to those emails very quickly. And for those who are just interested in, you know, potentially purchasing one, uh, or just seeing what it's all about, you do have a website, polycade.com, and it looks like you are taking orders through it, correct? That's correct. Yeah. We're, uh, we're actually just revising the website this week. Um, so we expect there to be fresh fresh info on there next week um and as a you know as we move forward and have more time to build various aspects out that that will be of course be uh constantly changing but uh yeah we're 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 live at the moment and uh and taking orders and gradually shipping things out uh yeah excellent and of course uh, i should put this caveat in there um this we're recording this episode a couple weeks in advance of when it's probably going to air. So if you're listening, the website's probably already updated and you can go check out all their new stuff. Um, and Tyler will already be probably looking for investment and looking at the future of Polycade. So if you're interested, get involved. Now's the time. Absolutely. So I want to shift gears just a little bit uh, and talk uh, a little bit on a, on a broader scale rather uh, about the video game world as a whole and especially indie video games and what i want to ask you about tyler is your experience with kickstarter there are so many games um you know even some pretty large scale games but also a lot of smaller indie games that go to kickstarter and crowdfunding sources for uh, funding and for money can you tell me a little bit about your experience with Kickstarter? Was it always positive? Were there some struggles? Uh, and what did you learn? Um, so, yeah, the, the Kickstarter was an interesting experience. Um, you know, one of the, the initial things that you learn very quickly is uh, that you need to have a relatively high production value on your Kickstarter campaign itself. Um, and that doesn't seem so hard until you sit down to do it. Uh, and you write up your first one and you're like, okay, that seems good. And then you look at someone else's and you're like, oh, wow, I'm really falling short here. Uh, so, so that's one thing that I think is very crucial is, is just your presentation is a massive part of this. Uh, and your video as well. Uh, and, and any, anybody you talk to on uh, about a Kickstarter campaign or any articles you read there, they all tell you the video is so, so crucial. Um, and that's something that we spent quite a bit of time on. Uh, we did, you know, maybe like four different takes of the video. Uh, and, and, you know, each time that that's quite a bit of work. Uh, right. and finally the last take was just the most simple one. And it was, once we had that, it was so obvious that this was the right answer for our video. Um, as no text, no talking, you know, just a little bit of text, a few quick bullet points, and really just let's show the product. Um, so, so that was, you know, the, the, the construction of the campaign itself is quite a bit of work. Uh, and then from there, the next, the next biggest 
task is uh, getting eyes on it. And, and this is something that is really hard and mysterious. Um, you know, I, I come from an advertising background, but, you know, that's when there's a budget. And, you know, how do you get this? How do you get it out that your campaign exists? And, you know, the, the obvious one is your friends and your network, your family network. Uh, and so you want to make sure to leverage that in the right way. Um, and then aside from that, you're pretty much cold calling bloggers and any kind of like news person or influencer that you might have some kind of contact to, uh, and, and seeing if they'll, they'll post an article about you. Sure. So did you get a decent amount of attention a decent amount of response? I mean, based on the numbers alone, and you said that you kind of placed the goal a little lower, but it seems like your Kickstarter was fairly successful. Yeah. And so, so, you know, uh, my method of, of doing this, um, I tried, I contacted maybe like 15 different writers of blogs or technology or whatever, uh, of which one of them got back to me. Um, and this was, uh, geek dad, uh, which is a, a really great website. Uh, strongly suggest you check it out if you like tech or anything like that. Okay. And they, they, uh, a writer named Randy Slavey got back to me and was like, yeah, I'll, I'll do a post about it. Uh, and so that was aside from my, my friend network, that was the only post that went out about us early on. Um, and, and, you know, also I think I squandered my friend network, uh, by using an app called Thunderclap, uh, which I thought was going to have a, a very positive effect on our campaign and it seemed to have zero effect. Um, oh, okay. And it just basically felt like I, yeah, I mean, I think like, you know, running a Kickstarter, you want, there's, there's a, there's a few things going on behind the scenes that you want to try to get your best leverage of. Uh, one of which is uh, interest in the campaign will uh, will make your campaign show up in in Kickstarters like uh, you know popular projects and the emails that go out and stuff. So if you can get you know on the first day everyone you know to contribute one dollar then, you know, your project looks like it's really popular because a hundred people, you know, have contributed $1 in the first day. Uh, and so I think, you know, you want to make sure to leverage your friend network in that capacity. Um, that was something we missed the mark on, but, okay. uh, but yeah, so aside from that, it's, you know, you're, you're, you're looking at your other advertising methods. I think I was lucky in that uh, it, you know, and this is kind of obvious, but, uh, I didn't realize it at the time. Turns out that, you know, Nolan Bushnell's son making an arcade machine is kind of interesting. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, obviously, uh, so, so that, you know, that I think gave us where as soon as people picked up on the campaign and you know i think that the the geek dad post was crucial to that uh we started getting a lot of other blog posts um and and so i think that i you know i got lucky in that capacity because i have you know this like legacy that uh that i won the lottery on there um so you know from there our project kind of took off by itself and, and we didn't, you know, I didn't do a ton, uh, to market it after, after that. And you actually involved your father in the campaign just a little bit, didn't you? Yeah. I, uh, I offered, you know, when we were launching the campaign, it was like, God, we need something that like, you know, the, the target price for a Kickstarter is like 50 to a hundred bucks. You want, you want your product to be around there. Uh, we were selling this thing for like 1500 bucks. So, uh, we were like, ah, this is never going to work on a Kickstarter. Um, we need something that's a little bit lower cost 
to just get some foots in the door and, you know, give us that, like pop those popularity rankings for, for Kickstarter's algorithms. Um, and so we, we made a, uh, a tier that was, uh, signed Atari 2600 cartridge, uh, signed by Nolan Bushnell. Uh, so that was kind of, you know, it was like, Hey, I've got, I've got dad, like just see him every Sunday night. I might as well, uh, <laughs> might as well abuse this contact. <laughs> well, there you go. And it seemed to work for you. I mean, there's definitely a story there. So, um, that, that's, that's interesting to hear. Um, yeah, definitely. It was a, it was a good, uh, a good fun, uh, little addition there. And, and we filmed the signing as well, which I felt like was kind of a cool way to do. Uh, a lot of people asked for like a certificate of authenticity and I was like, what the hell? Uh, and so it seemed like a, a video on YouTube would be the ultimate certificate of authenticity. Yeah. There you go. Actually just watch him sign it yourself. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So sometimes you hear with a Kickstarter campaign that uh, fulfilling rewards or uh, actually just that follow-up following the campaign can be so difficult or almost painful. Did you experience any of that? Uh, yes, and I am still experiencing that. Um, you know, I would say <laughs> <laughs> it's the fulfillment is really hard because a lot of times you do a Kickstarter for something that you're not... Uh, you don't really, you know, it's, this was, has been a massive learning experience for me. Uh, you know, I didn't know anything about manufacturing, any of these things, uh, going into this project. So fulfillment has been, you know, the, the continuing project and, and really, you know, our Kickstarters are so, so rad. Like I, like to the extent that I'm able to like give them free things throughout the life of this company, I would very much like to do that uh, because they've just been so patient with me and, and, and all of, almost all of them, they're like, so not only patient, but like kind about it. Uh, and so that's all been really, really positive. Um, that being said, you know, it's been a year and a half. Some people are pretty pissed off. Uh, and, you know, I feel that weight and stress on me and I want to get these machines out. I want people to have them and be having fun with them, you know. Of course, of course. Well, I promise I won't hold you too much longer so you can go get those machines done. Uh, just a couple more questions for you. Would you use Kickstarter again in the future? Uh, yes, I already have my next project planned. Oh, okay, cool. Uh, and it will go on Kickstarter for sure. Excellent. Well, we'll all keep an eye out for that. And maybe you and I can chat again in the future uh, about your future projects. Totally. And then before we leave Kickstarter, like I said, there are a lot of people out there, especially in the video game industry, who use Kickstarter to fund their projects. You've shared some advice already within your story, but is there any advice for people who want to use Kickstarter for their projects? Um. Yeah. I would, first of all, like definitely recommend it um, because it's just a great way to get something moving. Uh, you know, one of the coolest things about it, everyone's got ideas and sometimes ideas, you might think it's the coolest idea ever, um, but it turns out that you are one of like very few people that think that's a cool idea. Uh, and it's, sometimes it's hard to see that. Uh, Kickstarter is great because it allows you to capture, uh, you know, a, a proof of concept, basically. Sure. You know, do people want this? And they will say, yes, I do. Or no, I do not. I'm not interested. Um, now, of course, you have marketing as a, a, a factor in that. Um, but it's just a, a great way to get moving on a project in general. You know, I mean, if... And, and really, you know, the marketing factor is also an important piece there because you might have the greatest idea on the face of the planet. If you can't market it, you're never going to sell it. Uh, so Kickstarter allows you to test these things in advance. Not only that, uh, once you have proof of concept, now you have like a chunk of change that you can use to go and get your, your project produced. Um, so it's a great platform. Uh, the, the negatives is that some consumers just won't ever back a Kickstarter. 
uh, I spoke with a lot of friends and family surrounding our Kickstarter and they were like, yeah, but then you have the Kickstarter thing. And I was like, oh, what's that? And they're like, well, I would never buy a Kickstarter project. Uh, I'll just wait for it to actually come out. So, you know, there are, there's a, like a huge slice of people that, that won't touch a Kickstarter. Um, and so, so, you know, you, you don't have a perfect proof of concept, but if it works on Kickstarter, then it's probably going to work in as a real business. So one last topic I want to talk about is kind of indie video games as a whole right now, especially uh, from the perspective of Polycade. So at one point in our discussion, you mentioned that some of the modern indie games that you were playing on this arcade machine were actually sometimes more fun than some of the retro games you expected to be playing. What do you think about the indie game scene right now? And what do you think about them through the lens of an arcade machine? Uh, the indie game scene right now, I think is completely awesome. Um, the, you know, I think video games for, especially for folks in my generation, um, where we grew up with video games, we all love them. And as video games move forward, they, they sort of got away from us a little bit. We got older and suddenly, you know, spending two hours on the couch with Grand Theft Auto was not a reasonable thing to be doing anymore. Uh, we just don't have the time for it. Um, and not to mention, you know, your, your halos and otherwise, as soon as you've got a 13 year old, you know, telling to go, telling you to go screw yourself, uh, where they're playing from <laughs> God knows where and just completely decimated you. Uh, you know, you're, you're like, God, <laughs> that hurt. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, uh, I think that for a lot of us, uh, video games kind of like got away from us and where we grew up as gamers, we were like, ah, maybe they're not for me so much anymore now that I, I got older. Uh, and I, I think that that's largely, uh, uh, I think that video games themselves are responsible for that, you know, for video games getting a little too complicated and people thinking that video games were these big complicated things. Um, I think that the indie scene has, has taken us back to what we know and love in video games. And there's, there's a lot of, you know, very like, casual, really well-crafted indie games uh, that that speak to the games of the 80s and 90s. Um, they're, they're, they're in that vein, and they've just got modern game mechanics. You know, it's, it's a polishing of the game mechanics that we grew up with. Um, so a lot of these indie games, they're... They, if I told you that this was a game released in 1990... You might believe me. So we've been talking to Tyler Bushnell. He is the creator of Polycade. Um, Tyler, thank you so much for coming on the show and chatting with me today. Before I let you go, I do ask all of my guests to share a piece of advice with the aspiring indie developers out there, the aspiring people who want to be in this industry, and, and just those people who maybe want to grow up and be like you and make arcade cabinets in their garage and then end up starting their own company. What's something that you can share with those people and, and send those people home with today? Um, I would definitely say, you know, something along the lines of, uh, you know, we all have dreams and projects that we want to do ideas that we want to make a reality, uh, whether those are businesses or hobbies or, or whatever. Um, and you can spend your entire life thinking like I should do that and never do it. Uh, and you know, just get out there and do it, make it happen. Like spend those weekends, spend those nights to build your project, give it a shot at least so that you can, you know, say, well, I tried that and it didn't work, you know, on to the next. Uh, it took me 10 years to, uh, to get this project built, uh, and rather not to get it built, to just get off my ass and build it. Uh, so 
if if there's one bit of advice I could offer, it would be uh, to you know motivate, make your make your ideas, make your projects a reality. There's so many resources out there now that can help you make it happen. Uh, you the only you have no excuse. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Well, hey, that's pretty sound advice from Tyler Bushnell. Go and get it. Um, and and what? Get off your ass? It's pretty sound advice, Tyler, I think. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, that might be a quote from my dad, actually. <laughs> there you go. I like it. Tyler, you shared your contact information before, but if people want to follow along with the company, they want to know what's going on, um, how do they find you out on those interwebs? Yeah, just shoot us an email, uh, info at polycade.com, uh, and we'll, we'll get back to you right away. Um, you know, we'd love to provide any more information that you might want about the arcade machine, uh, or, you know, yeah, uh, shoot, shoot us an email and let's talk. Sounds good. Well, Tyler, one last time, thank you for coming on. It's been a pleasure to talk to you, and good luck with getting those orders out, man. Right on. Thanks, Logan. Much appreciated. <laughs> Tyler Bushnell, creator of the Polycade Arcade Machine. Thank you for joining us this week. Again, if you have thoughts, questions, or ideas you'd like to share, you can email me at logan at blackshellmedia.com or reach out on Twitter at Logan A. Schultz. That's L-O-G-A-N-A-S-C-H-U-L-T-Z. This podcast is presented by Blackshell Media, a publishing and marketing firm dedicated to helping independent video game developers reach massive audiences, publish financially successful titles, and turn game development into a career. It's the company's mission to help game developers get more of what they want out of a rewarding opportunity in the game industry, more fans, and sustainable revenue to keep them moving forward. Blackshell Media also has an educational branch to their company, where they offer free articles and resources for aspiring and growing developers, which is why we get to bring this show to you every single week. You can find Blackshell Media on the web at blackshellmedia.com and on Twitter at blackshellmedia. This show is on iTunes, Google Play, and other podcast services across the web, as well as the Blackshell Media blog. If you enjoy what we're doing here and want us to keep doing it, or if you have things you'd like us to change, please go to your favorite podcast provider and leave us a review so that we can keep sharing these episodes each week with you. Special thanks this week goes out to Raghav Mather, Daniel Doan, and Raquel Hayner, as well as Benjamin Tiso over at bensound.com for the use of his song, Going Higher. I'm Logan Schultz, and you've been listening to Indie Insider. We'll see you next week. <laughs>